Hi guys, and welcome to Oh Crumbs, the gluten-free podcast. With me, Sarah Howells, the gluten-free blogger. And me, Laura Strange, my gluten-free guide. Welcome back to Oh Crumbs. It's episode five, and today we're going to be chatting to an amazing guest about IBD, Crohn's disease and body positivity. Many individuals on a gluten-free diet suffer from IBD and we wanted to educate ourselves about this chronic condition, especially how it is distinctly different from IBS. But before we get on to this week's interview, congratulations to the winners of our Healthy Living James ebook competition. We'll also be announcing the winner of our Emma Amascotto book competition soon, so keep an eye on your inboxes. Amazing. Um, so Sarah, what's been going on this week? What's going on in the world? Uh... Well, big news, Laura. Bake Off starts tomorrow. Woo! <laughs> I cannot wait to watch Bake Off. And we actually have an ex-Bake Off contestant coming up soon. So it'll be interesting to see what they bake this year. Now, Sarah, I know you're very excited about Bake Off, aren't you? I am. Yeah, as always. Um, I have mixed feelings towards Paul Hollywood and his constant mentions of gluten. But, you know, I'll let it slide. Do you know, I actually think we should play a drinking game in Bread Week. Like, however many times he mentions gluten, take a shot. We'd literally be paralytic within about five (laughs) minutes. He is always like, oh, yeah, develop the gluten, need the gluten. I'm there at the TV just like hissing it <laughs> he does talk about gluten a lot i do enjoy bake-off i have to say i've definitely been like a late comer to the uh the bake-off following um but nice no, i don't quite have the same fan status as you i don't think i just want to know if they make something and do like a free from week because last year they did a vegan week and i know they've done a free from week before so i kind of hope they do like a gluten-free week it's quite hard to bake gluten-free, isn't it? If you've got no... like, As in, once you've got your head round gluten-free baking, it's completely manageable and fine. But if you're used to baking with normal ingredients and you suddenly have to bake gluten-free, it would be quite challenging. Definitely. And I think that's why it's so much fun to watch them struggle, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> to watch their breads not rise and their cakes fail and where they're like, ah, you see, it's not as easy as people make it look. See, now you're getting why I love Bake Off so much. <laughs> <laughs> i'll be a big fan again this week sorry <laughs> brilliant so laura what have you been up to this week ah well as regular oak crumbs listeners will know i really like food <laughs> um, so once again this week i've been out and about trying to unearth new gluten-free gems and i found some really good ones this week oh what have you found well uh first up Paladar in London, which is um, a restaurant whose food menu is completely gluten-free. Um, they serve like, Latin American cuisine. Um, I was invited down to try their menu after I contacted them. Um, and so I took a couple of fellow celiac bloggers with me and we were so impressed. Um, the food is really excellent um, and they have just just the kind of foods that you never think you're going to be able to get gluten-free, like empanadas, really great tacos, and even these blue corn churros for dessert with like Dolce de Leche, coffee dipping sauce. Oh, that sounds so good. <laughs> it was Lincoln amazing. Um, I would definitely recommend it. And I think when you're celiac as well, I do eat in mixed facility places a lot, but it is really reassuring when you don't have to worry about that and you don't have to ask about the fryers and you don't have to ask about cross-contamination. Oh, definitely. I think it's like the best feeling ever. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was the dream. Um and they've been open for a couple of years, so I was amazed that none of us really knew about them until now. So anyway, that's one to try. Oh, wow. I definitely have to check them out. <laughs> Duffo. Um, another one for London is a food truck called Utter Waffle. Um, they started fairly recently and um, they can be found at a few of the curb food markets. So 
Um, Google them and have a look on the website to find out exactly where they are. They are basically 99% gluten-free, but the good thing is that one of the owners is celiac. Amazing. She's also got dairy and soya allergies, so you're in really safe hands. They sell waffles, as you can, the name kind of gives you a clue there. Um, but both of these amazing stuffed savoury waffles with different toppings um, and also like, sweet waffle dippy fingers. Um, again, so impressed. They have really like fluffy waffles and the batter is free from all top 14 allergens so they can cater for loads of people um, like dairy free, obviously gluten free, vegan, um, like soya free. Because I know lots of people have that allergy as well, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. And they, again, so to disclose, they they gifted me a waffle to try, but I would 100% recommend them. I'll definitely be buying more for myself in the future. And then away from the capital, because Sarah, as a non-London dweller, I'm sure you get bored of hearing about London recommendations. I just get really jealous of all the food you find. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm so many miles away in Devon. (laughs) Well, it turns out there's some really good stuff around the UK as well. Um, There's a brand new gluten-free bakery that's opened up in Northamptonshire. Um, I just spotted this in the news. Uh, it's called The Little Bakery of Happiness. Uh, they're open to walking customers on Thursday, Friday and Saturday. And you can find full information on their website. That sounds incredible. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It's, it's nice to have like those little local places that you can go to. And their website's still in development a bit at the moment. But they're going to have like a full product list on there soon. So if you're local, definitely check it out. And let us know if you think it's worth going to. Definitely. And Laura, I saw as well that you have created some sort of like enormous guide to gluten-free fish and chips on your website this week yeah um yeah I spent a lot of time uh, last week looking at chippy websites um in order to create a massive new guide to where you can get gluten-free fish and chips in the UK um in the guide there are over 200 wow <laughs> you know when you start something and you don't really realize how big a beast it's gonna become always <laughs> Yeah, after like two evenings of stay up to 1am researching chippies, I was like, what am I doing? But it was too late to stop. Um, and I've had loads of really good local tips from people, which I've been adding to the guide as I, as I could. So um, like I said, there's places across the UK and I've only included celiac friendly locations. So where they've got like a dedicated fryer and keep things separate and places that offer gluten-free chips like every day rather than just having a gluten-free Monday or whatever. Um, but yeah, that's enough from me and my food adventures. Um, Sarah, what have you been up to? So this week I've been the one with the geek hat on. Um, I've been, <laughs> yay, we swapped roles for a change. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good. You've got to share the geekiness. There's nothing wrong with being a geek. Exactly. And so basically, Basically, I've been delving into the headlines of a new study which made the news this week all about celiac disease. A US study was published on celiac disease in children, actually, and it provoked headlines from papers like the Daily Mail, or as I like to call them, the Daily Fail, um, such as (laughs) too much wheat and gluten in early stages of infancy raises risks of celiac disease in children at risk of the condition. Try saying that when you're drunk. (laughs) (laughs) I bet. So... I saw these headlines as well, Sarah, and like, considering I'm a parent and a celiac and touch wood, my child doesn't seem to have developed it yet. I found this a bit worrying and I've, I've, I don't know, I'd like to find out more though, because uh, to be honest, I don't trust anything that the Daily Mail write. I think that's right. Um, as a former journalist, not for the Daily Mail, I might add, um, I know <laughs> that you kind of engineer headlines to make people click through and sometimes they don't tell the full story. So the NHS actually has a really, really helpful behind the headline service, which we will link to in the show notes, which goes into detail about these studies and sort of how accurately they're reported. 
So I had a look on that and I've kind of got some details for us here. So the study was carried out in Sweden, Finland, Germany and the US and they had about six and a half thousand children that took part um, and it was published in the Journal of American Medical Association. Now all of the children involved in this study had genetic variants that put them at a higher risk of developing autoimmune conditions like celiac disease. So basically, for example, Laura, you've got Alba. Alba will be more likely to potentially have celiac because you have it. So these are the ones that were kind of in this study. So that's actually really important to note as well, because I do think some of the headlines made it out that any child, if they ate lots of gluten, could develop celiac disease. And that's why I took umbrage with it a bit, because it's an autoimmune condition. It's in your genes. Um, so that's so basically, if there's a history of celiac disease in a family, that's when this study would apply. Exactly. So it was only children that had like a likelihood already of developing celiac disease. Now, what they did is the parents recorded their children's diets over three-day intervals, and then the researchers looked at the amount of gluten that the children consumed compared to things like their body weight, their race, their age, their height. And then they looked at how many of these children actually developed celiac disease or the antibodies for celiac disease. Now, what was interesting is that the main finding was that out of these children, I think it was 18% developed antibodies and 7% were diagnosed with celiac disease. So they basically had looked at children aged between birth and five years old. They said that celiac disease often starts in early childhood. And what this study kind of shows is that children who ate more than the average amount of gluten were a little bit more likely to get the disease bearing in mind that they were already at a higher risk of celiac. So it's not just your average child, it's somebody who is already at more of a risk. It was really interesting to kind of look at this study because obviously six and a half thousand children is quite a small percentage of the entire world's population. And there were a lot of factors that this didn't take into account. So things like if those children had not eating gluten at all, would they still have been at as much risk of developing celiac disease? There's a lot of other questions that this has raised. So what's actually really interesting is that because of what this has indicated, it kind of paves the way for more research into whether gluten consumption as a child can increase the risk of developing celiac in children already more likely to get it. But it kind of doesn't come to any concrete conclusions, if that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, no, total sense. And I think um, the NHS piece is a really good item for people to read if you've got any questions about this, because they do set it out quite clearly and very like um, neutral kind of perspective on it all. Um, for me personally, I'm not going to stop Albert eating gluten just because I'm celiac. I mean, it make my life a lot easier. But nursery and stuff at the moment, she has gluten or she's out with my husband who isn't celiac, um, so will have gluten. Ultimately, if she isn't celiac, I'd much rather she had an, a normal diet because it make her life a lot easier. But I think essentially if you're a parent to a child and you, there's celiac disease in your family, you've just got to keep an eye on them. Like we're going to, I'm going to go get her tested soon. I'm a bit nervous about it, but I just think it's a for me that I wouldn't feel happy not knowing. And at least if I get her blood test done, they can tell me either way. That's like a first step. I guess in a way you're kind of at an advantage in the fact that you already know it's a potential thing. So it's not like she'll be getting ill and you're thinking, oh my goodness, what's wrong with her? Like you can actually find out early on, which is probably quite comforting in a way. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And I think we've talked about this before, haven't we? That although like diagnosis isn't 
the ideal situation it's kind of empowering to know what the problem is and how to look after yourself and yeah it's not the end of the world so i thought that was a really interesting study but yeah like we said we'll put the link to the nhs article in the show notes and if you are interested it's definitely worth a read so laura what questions should we answer on today's podcast <laughs> Well, we had some great questions this week. I mean, not that our questions aren't always wonderful from our audience (laughs) members. Um, But we had loads this week. Um, Some we've saved and we'll be answering in following episodes because we just didn't have time to get through them all this week. A big one that came up was a couple of people asked about may contain warnings on gluten-free products, um, as well as um, non-gluten-containing ingredients instead of gluten-free being used in in some restaurants and stores, which is annoying, but they asked for us to share our thoughts on that. So Sarah, I mean, may contain warnings. Do you eat gluten-free products if they say may contain gluten or may contain wheat on the back? I find this such like a weird area because I think that the general advice is not to eat them and generally I don't eat them, but there have been times when I've probably eaten something and not realised it had a may contain, and then I've been fine, and I'm like, oh, well, I'm trying to weigh up in my head whether they've just put it on there as, like, a safety precaution, or whether it might genuinely contain it, and it kind of just, like, my brain just explodes a bit. So generally, I mean, more so now I try to avoid it, but I used to, you know, more when I was a student, be like, I don't care, I'm eating it anyway, which probably is the wrong attitude to have. (laughs) No, I I don't think there's any right or wrong. I think it's a completely personal decision. I don't go in anywhere near products that have a may contain warning because personally, I got really ill from eating some crisps once with them. Oh, surprise, surprise. Um, You were eating crisps, Laura? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Um, I got literally so poorly. We were on holiday somewhere and... They had, I didn't realise like, it was one of those ones like I'd eaten them, looked at the packet afterwards and it was the only thing that could have made me oh, sick as no. the only thing I'd eaten and I had such a bad reaction so it just kind of freaked me out a little bit and um, I've stayed clear but our reader she was saying you know she's been celiac for a long time and uh, she just kind of eats things and she knows that if she had been glutened that she has quite a severe reaction so she says generally she's always fine what i find frustrating is that companies don't declare it more clearly so they could say like if it's like made in a factory that also handles gluten you're gonna be fine realistically as long as things aren't coming into contact but sometimes that could mean it's processed on the same conveyor belt as gluten products so it's just knowing the extent to which it may contain obviously that's not something they declare and i think it sometimes in cases it's almost getting a bit ridiculous when you look at like Sainsbury's and all their fresh meat and fish products that are prepared behind the counter now have a may contain warning and I'm like is this just to cover your backs or genuinely might it have touched gluten because stuff like that drives me nuts I think that's just like a legal cover themselves type thing because that's only happened in the last like year or so my mum went and bought like a, a roast beef joint or something and then had to take it back because I know that's she's on the packet when she bought it from the counter. Then the label had it printed on it, and she went back and was like, "Well, I can't have this." And they were like, "Oh, it was a tiny, tiny sign on the actual meat counter declaring it." And yeah, after a lot of kind of back and forth, they allowed her to like get a refund. But it's just so frustrating. It's um, you want some like pragmatic, sensible advice from people, not like scaremongering on from the big retailers exactly and i find that a lot when you're eating out as well it's like we were talking about in a previous episode with all the disclaimers you've got to sign even in a restaurant that's supposed to be gluten free i think with all of it really it's just exercising your own judgment and especially in shops i find that's where the celiac uk app 
has been really helpful because generally you can scan food and it will tell you if if they think it's safe and I kind of think if I'm going to follow anyone's advice I'll probably follow theirs yeah no definitely that's a good point um and yeah in terms of the no gluten containing ingredients which is NGCI in stores uh essentially that's a legal thing as well that if some restaurants are using gluten products in their kitchens they're now very reluctant to call the food gluten-free so just have a chat with that specific um, restaurant or cake shop or whatever it is to ask about their processes. That's the joy. If you're in an actual physical location, you can ask them and talk to them. If it's a product in a supermarket, it's going to take you a lot longer to get an answer out of Cadbury's. Definitely. So hopefully that was helpful. Sorry, we haven't really given like a definitive answer there, but I think... No, I don't think there is a definitive answer, is it? It's like we said, it's your personal decision. That's what we do. Um, And uh, any other questions, ping them in. Shall I talk about this week's guest, Sarah? Yes, because I'm really excited about this interview. Yeah, this week's guest is journalist Bryony Hopkins, and we love this interview. Uh, Bryony was diagnosed with chronic autoimmune condition Crohn's disease when she was four years old, and she's lived with the condition for over 20 years. Despite having undergone multiple surgeries, steroid treatment, and having had an ostomy bag for three years as a teenager, she remains such a voice of positivity within the IBD community. And Bryony is also a public advocate for body positivity, having appeared on BBC News talking about why we should be proud of our scars and our body types, embracing our individual uniqueness. So let's crack on and have a listen to the pearls of wisdom that she shared with us. Welcome, Bryony. We're Hello. here today with Bryony Hopkins, and we're very excited to have her on the podcast. So, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, now, Bryony, you've got a really interesting personal story to talk about, which we'll get onto um, shortly. Um, but you've also set up a great event series and yes. uh, a, a belly full of. A belly full of. Do you want to yes. tell us a little bit about yeah, so... your personal profile online and everything? <laughs> yeah. For people who don't know you already. So, for those who don't know me already, my name is Bryony Hopkins, and I have um, a blog called A Belly Full of, which was kind of born out of my. Uh, experience living with Crohn's disease which we'll explain a little bit more in a bit. So in the blog I talk a lot about my life living with Crohn's which I was diagnosed with when I was four years old so it's kind of you know it's shaped my whole life and shaped my whole being. So I talk about that, I talk about how much I'm obsessed with food and obviously I'm on here, I'm on the gluten-free podcast because I'm obviously (laughs) (laughs) gluten-free. So um, I talk a lot about my, my diet and living with IBD and I've also recently just launched a belly full of events which is a completely new venture for me uh, and it's all about having an honest conversation about our health talking about things that you know talking about gut health can be quite embarrassing sometimes and it's just about having an open conversation about that but also getting you know evidence-based experts in to kind of answer all the questions because social media can be a bit white noisy yeah sometimes. totally <laughs> social media can be really helpful in some aspects but there's a totally. lot of bump out there which exactly. might not be grounded and sometimes finding the correct medical professionals and reliable yeah. ones is quite tricky yeah when exactly. everyone might call themselves nutritionists but yes might not actually be a registered exactly, nutritionist because you can actually and... buy a nutritionist certificate online yeah i only learned this wow. recently which is actually terrifying yeah. especially when you have a really you know Crohn's disease is a form of inflammatory bowel disease and it's a very, it's like celiac, it's a, a very serious medical condition. But, you know, it's it's very difficult to find out what works for you. So you often will turn to the internet to find answers and that's what I did. And I, when I just 
saw how much stuff on there that wasn't true, it was really overwhelming. And that's yeah. just kind of one of the things that I want to sort of tackle in my events. Um, I feel quite strongly about that. Sounds amazing. <laughs> so before we kind of talk about your diagnosis, do you want to talk us through a little bit about IBD and Crohn's? Yes. Like what they are? Yeah. I assume they're slightly different or yeah. one's part of the other? One is part of the other, okay. yes. So IBD is inflammatory bowel disease, not to be confused with IBS because yeah. they are very, very different. Yeah. Um, and in inflammatory bowel disease, there are the main two conditions you can have, they're Crohn's disease uh, and ulcerative colitis. And okay. there are a couple of others that are sort of smaller, but... The main differences are colitis, ulcerative colitis can affect mainly your large bowel. Right. And inflammatory bowel disease basically just means you are, it's an autoimmune disease, it's a chronic illness and your body is basically attacking itself and causes very severe inflammation. So similar to celiac disease but like in a different part of the body? Yes. Really? Okay, or a different part of the bowel. Yeah, really. so with ulcerative colitis it just affects your large bowel and quite a lot right. of people can actually achieve full remission by having their large bowel removed. Wow does mean they need to have an uh, ostomy bag, which is a whole other conversation. Mm, yeah. Crohn's disease affects anywhere from your mouth down right to the bottom. Oh, wow. So that can be a lot it's a, can be a lot more difficult to treat because once you've treated one bit, it can spread somewhere else and it can present different symptoms. So it's it's um it's a real challenge. Um, and I think it's not talked about enough because you know the symptoms are really bad diarrhea. Mm. Said it. I've said it earlier. Yeah. On. Get that. Out uh, get it out. Oh, yeah. You can have all of that talk on this podcast. Yeah. We don't have to discuss any issues. There are no limits. But... Um, weight loss, losing lots of blood in your poo, yeah. um, malnutrition because you're not absorbing enough, pain, bloating, nausea, sickness. Wow. And yeah, so it's just it's it can be very undignified very undignified that's why a lot of people like so Crohn's and Colitis UK they give out um, radar keys so you can get into a disabled toilet because good. if you're in a height of a flare-up and you need to go like sometimes you just can't like yeah you need yeah. to be there straight away so yeah it's quite an undignified illness and I think that's one of the reasons it's not talked about as much but you know it, there's 300,000 people in the UK that have a form of inflammatory bowel disease wow which is actually a huge amount it of people and it's very common to be diagnosed between the ages of like 18 and 35 yeah so, you know, that's when you're sort of heading into a new chapter of your life and then yeah. you find yourself bed bound and because you can't be you can't be that far from the bathroom or you're just losing so much blood you can't get out of bed. It's so tough, isn't it? Yeah. It's really like we should have more conversations around all of this as well because there are so many conditions now which have that unfortunate side mm. effect and it'd be affecting a lot more people than you realise if yeah. we all were a bit more open about it yeah. and we could support each other a bit more. Yeah. yeah. So And it's the same with celiac disease, you know, there totally. are lots of symptoms like lots of gut Symptoms that are also very undignified. Yeah, we've all been there in the moment. Yeah. We're suddenly <laughs> thinking, oh, uh, God, where is the nearest bathroom? Yeah, exactly. Like, How yeah. do I get that? This is yeah. Awful. But, yeah, bad times. Um, so what were the initial symptoms for you personally? Like, how did you realise you, you had Crohn's? So I uh, don't really remember a lot about my diagnosis because I was only four. So You were so young. I was very young. But I do... I remember we were on holiday in Wales and I would just... I, I, remember, I think I went up to my mum and I was like there's blood in the toilet oh, and um and my mum was just like oh my goodness that is horrendous yeah and took me basically straight to A&E and then from there I was transferred to a specialist gastro children's hospital in Oxford which is where I'm still treated now and yeah I was very quickly diagnosed with Crohn's that's disease. good that they were really prompt about yeah. diagnosing yes. it then uh, what sort of tests do they have to do to diagnose you so if I you remember yeah I don't, I, don't re- I don't remember but it, um they would do a colonoscopy or an endoscopy which is basically right. when they put a camera up and down and they can actually see where the ulceration is and where because it, it literally the difference between like IBD and IBS if you were to put a camera in someone with IBS you wouldn't necessarily see anything actually physical inside the intestines mm-hmm. whereas if you have IBD you literally will be seeing like 
huge ulcers like yeah. bleeding and wow. like, mucus within like a very distinct profile very distinct profile yeah. and it's bare and also it can really narrow your intestines so it can be quite difficult to sometimes get the camera up because there's so mm. much ulceration in your intestines oh, gosh, that's awful. yeah so yeah, it's um that's that's one of the main things i do but i also do like stool tests and blood tests and um and i do know quite a lot of people find it quite difficult to get a diagnosis because you can have ibd and not have all the extreme symptoms sometimes you can just have a few and it in that and in that area, it can be quite difficult to know whether it's IBS or IBD so or celiac, actually. If you were someone and you thought that maybe something was wrong, yeah. would it be a good idea to suggest that to yes. the doctor or say maybe they should do an endoscopy mm. or a colonoscopy? A or um, take a biopsy. That's when they sort of like take a little bit of your intestine. Per celiac diagnosis. Yeah, exactly, yeah. just so they can test. So really that is what they should all be doing. But obviously, you know, if they're not quite sure what's going on, I think the process can be quite slow and quite frustrating. I've heard a lot of stories to that vein. But yeah, those are sort of the main diagnostic tools. Okay, so once you've got this diagnosis, what kind of happened then? What were the next steps? I mean, if I'm completely honest, it's all a bit of a blur because yeah, I was so young. And now, like I've had Crohn's for over 20 years of my life and there have been so many obstacles and so many hurdles that I've gone through. But the first defence is normally prednisolone steroids, which are very effective at treating inflammation, but they also have horrendous side effects so I spent a lot of time as a child on steroids um, before I had my first operation which was when I was 12 steroids I also did um, something called an elemental liquid diet which is when you basically stop eating you have a hundred percent gut rest oh, wow. um, and you're given like these medical shakes that basically have all the calories that you need but it means your your digestive system has to do absolutely oh, wow, nothing yeah it's actually quite, I think a it's a holiday for your gut. A holiday yeah. for your gut, yeah. exactly. So did that and I was sometimes fed through a nasogastric tube. If I wasn't able to drink enough of these shakes, they would be like pumped into my stomach overnight. Mm. And um, it's actually quite, it's weirdly quite an um, effective form of remission. And actually is the way I became gluten-free, which I can explain a bit more. But I did yeah. the liquid diet again in 2016 and that's how yeah. I discovered my food intolerances. And yeah, and then I had my first big surgery. I had like 90% of my large bowel removed when wow. I was 12. She went through a lot at an yeah, early age. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's, it's one of those things like, oh, people are like, oh, it's so sad that you were diagnosed when you were so young, but actually I don't know any different, and it's just part of who I am. Yeah. So I don't, you know, I don't really think of it in that way. Maybe in some way it makes it easier. I know. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Particularly, like, so for me, I was diagnosed celiacy is quite young. My mum was diagnosed at a much older age, mm. and, and it's harder to adjust, I think, when you've had a normal mm. life. So for you, not having many yeah. years of normality, yeah, as no, it were. Like, I don't really, I don't um, ever remember a time in my life not having Crohn's. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, it does make it easier because it's just it, you know, it's part of who I am. And I'm, and then it's made me, you know, see things, it makes me see things in a different way. And I think it helps make me more positive about it. Yeah, because you speak because so just, positively about it all. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's just part of who I am. It just yeah. is, is what it is. And there's no point in dwelling on it. No, I don't think so. <laughs> so you had this surgery age yeah. 12. And you mentioned, have you had other surgeries since? Yeah. So I had, um, when I was 12, I they formed something called an ostomy bag, which is basically when they... They bring your intestine out of your stomach and it basically reroutes your waste system, okay. as it were. Um, so I had that for three years, like during my teenage years, which I have to say, I always look back and I think that was probably one of the hardest periods in my life. So I was going through puberty, I went to an all-girls school and I had like a bag attached to my stomach, which is basically where my waste was coming out of. And it was, it was almost like there was so much going on. Yeah. When I look back at that, I'm like, that was really hard that was really tough yeah like a tough age anyway when you're trying to figure out who you are and you know you're trying to be what everyone else is both very physically not like everyone else yeah now I look back on that and I'm like god if that happened tomorrow I feel like I'd be fine but looking back on that I feel like that was a real challenge yeah but because of the the way they had done the surgery it meant they could reverse 
the bag okay. when I was 16. So they basically just like joined up two parts of my intestine. Um, so they have to give it some time for things to, to heal, heal to the extent aside yeah. and I always explain it as like my plumbing system is just basically had like a small reroute and then bypass, bypass, yeah, bypass a, small re, yeah, a small bypass and then it went back <laughs> to my organ but yeah but, and since then I've had more surgery in terms of just one of those things once you've had a few operations there's a, there's a lot of internal scar tissue so I've had a lot of issues with that but um, nothing that I haven't been able to bounce back from and I think that's one of the things with Crohn's disease and IBD that people maybe don't really understand is that it is chronic and it, there's never a cure and it always changes and you can look fine but actually there's quite a lot going on so it will be a lifelong condition it's a lifelong for you, so condition. learning to live with it and manage yeah. it effectively yeah exactly and so in terms of managing it your diet has been yes. a big part in that you say yeah. so 2016 you were yeah. gluten free yeah can you tell us a bit more about your yes. intolerances <laughs> and, and how you found out that you needed to eat gluten and dairy free so I did uh, in 2016 I was really really poorly I was having a really bad flare up of my Crohn's and they basically were like you need to go on prednisolone steroids, which is what I mentioned before, just, and I was like, I just can't, I can't. The side effects are too horrendous, and also like not even just physical side effects, but when I had it as a child, it also just sent me a bit loopy. Like they're so they're so strong. I was like, it almost sent me like schizophrenic. Like I was really depressed or really happy, and I was like, I just can't, yeah. can't go through yeah. that. Um, my doctor was like, you don't have any other choices, and I was like, well, I do actually. I could do this elemental liquid diet, which is what I did when I was younger, and it is a bit, it's a bit different, and and it meant that I. I had to stop eating for a month, which was hard when I was a child, but it was harder when I was an adult. And yeah. you don't even realise how much socialising in your life revolves around food mm. and and drink. Like not even just like even just like, I couldn't have coffee, like, I couldn't have anything. Yeah. So I did four weeks on this liquid diet. Um, it put me into remission, which was amazing. Brilliant. And then once you're finished that, you do something called it's like a reintroduction diet, the elimination diet. And through that process, you basically because your gut has been resting so long, you can't just like eat everything because no. your stomach will just go into meltdown. And it was through that process that I was like reintroducing food groups. And I'd already been dairy free by that point for a couple of years. And yeah, and when I was reintroducing, it just became very clear that gluten was just not assisting me in yeah. any way, shape or form. And, you know, it's very different for everyone with Crohn's. Like, not everyone is gluten and dairy free, and that wouldn't work for a lot of people. But in terms of my day-to-day life, it's just made my life a lot more livable, I suppose. Yeah. Like, I'm not... Like, I'm still on medication for my Crohn's, and I, and I probably will be, like, on and off for the rest of my life. So I'm not cured, and I always want to make sure that that, you know, doesn't, it doesn't mean I don't have any symptoms at all, but it does mean I'm able to, you know, live my best life, which Brilliant. I endeavour to do. <laughs> I guess we're all unique individuals at the end of the day, aren't yeah. we? So, yeah. like you said, that might not work for someone else with Crohn's, but yeah. it's realising that you just have to establish what fits you best yes. and what suits you. Although we can all have the same... Uh, medical condition we're very different yeah exactly exactly and you've also spoken then really widely about body positivity yes. like you've been on the bbc news and that's that's fantastic why body positivity like why did you kind of embark yeah. on that route as a spokesperson i have very visible stomach scars from like the surgery that i've had and when i had my bag when i was a teenager that very much affected my uh, how I felt about myself, my self-confidence. When I was going into uni, I, just, I don't think I really had any... I didn't realise I didn't have it. I just I, I just didn't... Until I started looking at other people around me, and I was like, okay, they definitely have something... Like a little sparkle about them. Or they, they, You can just tell they have a bit of confidence that I don't have, and I don't know how to find that or where that is. And I don't know I don't know at what point it happened, um, but I just realised... I was spending... And I would go on holiday and like not want to show my stomach because my scars were so large, and I would be really... Ooh. I would just be consumed with people, thinking people were staring at me. Which, at hindsight, they probably weren't. And if they are staring, they're just intrigued or interested, yeah. which is 
no, fine. And then I, and then and it might have been meeting my partner actually who just maybe realised that like it wasn't weird, like I wasn't like my body wasn't awful, my scars weren't a big deal at all. And then just from then on, I was like, it, there was some, something clicked in me, and then I went on holiday for the first time and wore a bikini and didn't spend the whole time like hunched over, like hiding my stomach or not being fully relaxed. And once that sort of lifted. I just realised like I'd been sort of in a bubble of feeling really horrible about my body for so long and I'm probably angry there was probably an element of anger towards my body because it, it had spent so long not doing what I wanted mm. it to do in terms of like being feeling ill or looking the way I felt like it should look like and just with you know with people in the media and models there's a very certain look and I I think it's great now we're moving towards like you know people not airbrushing out stretch marks but like 2019 and we've only just got there now yeah. I just feel like there's so much further we could go like I'd love to go on ASOS and see a model with a scar like that would just like be yeah. incredible and I think that's what I feel really strongly about and that's why I kind of started sharing pictures of me with my belly out in a bikini which you I look amazing I, I just would never have done that you look, before fantastic. <laughs> like you look so good in those pictures and it's so brilliant to share that it's like you're saying we need more people like you as well as not even spokespeople but just like Hello, I'm a normal like, person. This is me. This is, like, me. Yeah. this is what I look like, and yeah. we're not all like perfect models. But that's not a natural thing to achieve. Some people look naturally like that. Yeah, the rest of us look yeah. very different. We all look wonderful in our own right. Yeah, exactly. And I think, and I always just get quite a lot of messages being like, "Oh, like I just wore a bikini for the first time because of you, because I have this scar, I have that oh. scar," and I just think, you know. And there's another. There's a, a, a project which I think you might know a little bit about called Behind the Scars, and they've done like yeah. just really beautiful. So there are projects happening where where photographers are taking really beautiful pictures of people's scars, and we're we're moving towards normalising that. But I just feel like there's still more that could be done, and I just I hope in some little way. If I've inspired one person to put the key on who always wanted to and never felt like they could, then that's amazing. I'm sure you have because I've seen so many people like on your Instagram commenting and like sharing your posts, which is so nice. And yeah. I think like your whole account is like so positive. Is that kind of why you started a belly full? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's why I started it. And I, I think that there are a lot of there can be a lot of negativity around having chronic illnesses and I have so I've written some pieces for the Metro before and they've been posted on Facebook groups and I've actually been trolled so badly because of my positivity okay. and because I think you know when you're diagnosed with an illness it can be quite isolating and I think it can some you can sometimes feel like you're the only person in the world going through it and it does affect your mental health and I think all of those things need to be tackled as one but I think I personally believe you're not helping anything by being negative like even just being kind in a doctor's appointment, being kind to people when you're at, in the hospital, like that will only help you. And it, I just, I don't see any, I don't see any positives of being negative. Yeah, if you're feeling frustrated, it's very easy to take it out on someone yeah, else. Yeah, 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 exactly. And you know, just accepting it and making it part of who you are. Like, I don't know if I would ever would have started writing a blog if I hadn't had Crohn's. I don't know mm. if I would have made choices in life, the choice in life I have made or have the career that I have if I didn't have Crohn's. Like, I don't, know the answers to any of those things but I don't worry and I don't ever spend time thinking about what I could have done or what I because I know a lot of people are like oh yeah no I could have been a, a ballet dancer but then I got crying so I couldn't and I'm like why why would you think about that yeah. when did you start your blog and your your social media was that about it was the same time I did the liquid diet and became gluten free so okay. that was in 2016 and was that just because you wanted to kind of help others or so I actually, word? I started my blog and it's 
It started as the food free vlog because I was on this liquid diet. Yeah. And when I was missing meals because I was having these shakes, I was so like demented with hunger <laughs> <laughs> that um, I started writing this blog as an outlet. Yeah. And then it was like really, and also the food free blog is like a very specific, like there are not yeah, many so people who are food free. The wrong audience. Yeah, <laughs> but there were so many people who were also on a liquid diet or were looking for other options that started following it. And I was like, oh. Maybe I could, you know, write a bit more about writing. And it's, and it's also been quite um, cathartic for me, in a way, because I've basically, through my writing on my blog, I've basically sorted out how I felt about 18, 19 years of Crohn's when I'd spent a lot of time not talking about it yeah. and not being open about it. You know, when I had my ostomy bag when I was a teenager, nobody knew. I didn't tell my friends. I didn't. I kept it all really? secret. Yeah, because I thought I was a freak. Oh, I thought I was so not sad. normal. I thought I was not normal. That's the power of of vlogs in a way yeah. is that you can put this information out on the internet and then someone else yeah. who's, who's the 14 year old yeah. feeling really lonely by herself mm. might suddenly think oh actually it's yeah. normal and this amazing person and what she's achieved and I think I didn't even really think about people reading it I just wanted to it was mainly for me I was like I just need to write it and I need to get it out there and then and then I had a big piece that got picked up by the Huffington Post which is like my Crohn's story and that I had people coming up to me at work being like, I've known that you had Crohn's. And I was like, well, I suppose that it is an invisible illness and why would you know? Yeah. But um, yeah, that's the main reason I started it. And then it's obviously evolved to kind of yeah. cover everything to, yeah. you do at the moment. Yeah, sort of evolved to cover the body positivity stuff and gluten and dairy free and, and just generally trying to show that you can have a full-time job, you can go out and socialise with your friends, you can go travelling, the amount of people I, say, I, I have saying, oh god, I just feel like I'll never be able to go on holiday again because I've got Crohn's. No. But then you went to Australia and I went, recently, yeah. but quite a long time. Yeah, we went for six weeks. Yeah. So um, I just, I guess I just want to show that you can live like everyone else. Like you're not, we're not abnormal. We just are who we are and it's part of yeah. who you are as much as, you know, some people have a high voice, some people have a low voice, some people have brown hair, some people have blonde hair. Like it, it's not, it doesn't define you. You like can that. still do everything you want to do. I think that's such a good way to look at it. And you now do these, like, supper club events as well, which mm. you've recently started. Yeah. How did that sort of come about? Totally and 100% by accident, as all good things do. <laughs> Excellent, yeah. <laughs> I basically, because I my sort of full-time job as a journalist, I have met a lot of really interesting people and mainly, like, medical professionals who have built platforms on social media to share evidence-based advice. And I just, the journalist in me, just found them really interesting and that combined with sort of my own story of when I went to the internet and because my consultant like absolutely love him and I've been treated so well but they don't have a lot of like no one ever asked me what I was doing with my diet which when you think about it it's like gut related illness why yeah. no one said like it doesn't mean it's going to cure me but no one had thought said to me you know you could try taking out this or this might work for you so the events are, are very much about like me sharing a bit of my story with my journalist head on which is basically like asking those questions um and having a, a professional there like a nutritionist or a medical doctor who can sort of bust some myths and so people come away with having a, eaten amazing food and um, learned something they can take away and hopefully a goodie bag because everyone likes a good bag amazing so if people wanted to find out information about your events is that yes. on your website which yes. is so if you um you can find me on www.abellyfullof.com and you can also find me on social media on twitter and instagram at briny e hopkins briny with two y's um yeah and we're hopefully going to do another one uh, sometime in 2019 so I'm very excited to get into this. <laughs> Bryony, we just wanted to kind of finish off by asking you the same question we're asking all our guests. What's your one pearl of wisdom that you'd share to listeners? 
my one pearl of wisdom which is kind of how I live my life is just take every single day as it comes like I think when you have a chronic illness it can feel quite overwhelming thinking really far in advance or thinking or worrying about you don't know what's going to happen around the next corner and I personally just believe if you just enjoy every single day as it comes it just makes it so much easier and feel like you can constantly prioritize every single day based on how you're feeling and don't feel bad about that don't feel guilty for saying no and always put your health first that's possibly more than one pearl of wisdom that's but really I love it. no the more pearls of wisdom the better that's Definitely. fantastic thank you so much thank you for so much time for having me today, today. Oh, you've learned so much for one so. <laughs> I feel inspired yeah. I want to go put my bikini on and be like woohoo yes. yeah. you all should do that <laughs> if only it was sunny outside yeah that's <laughs> the excuse <laughs> brilliant thank you Brian. thank you thank you so much I feel like I've learned so much from that interview and it's so inspiring to hear from Bryony. I love her positivity and as someone with scars myself from my thyroid surgery, she's certainly helped me feel like it's something we should be celebrating. Now Bryony is currently busy working away on her next supper club dates, but when they're announced, we'll be giving away some tickets. So do keep an eye on our Instagram account for that competition coming soon. Oh, very exciting. Um, I've heard her events are awesome, so I definitely want to get myself to one of those soon. Well, that's all for this week, folks. Uh, but tune in next week and join us on our road trip to sunny Devon. Um, we're going to be visiting River Cottage and chatting to fantastic author and foodie Naomi Devlin. Naomi has celiac disease like us, yet always tries to see the positives in gluten-free life. She's a brilliant gluten-free cookery course tutor and author and has made it her mission to inspire others to eat delicious food while also looking I'm so excited to health. bring old crumbs to Devon. Yay! Yay! I can't wait to come to Devon. Um, Sarah, please can we go and have fish and chips somewhere because my cravings are pretty strong after writing that massive Of course we can, it's Devon. <laughs> Well, until next time, See you time, on the guys. road. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Okay, I'll try again. Hang on. This is going to go so well today. <laughs> you wait till I get to the geeky stuff. <laughs> Once you've got used to how to bake, okay, how to can't speak. Specifically celiac children. Uh, children with celiac. Uh, blah. Oh, Let me try that again, Sarah. You shared with us. Can <laughs> <laughs> we end all our intros with that? <laughs> <laughs>